تست 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 1 2 3 بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم جاهز توكل بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ويلكم تو ان اكستريملي سبيشال ابيسود هير ات ذا مو شو بودكاست I can't believe I'm about to say this. Sahib al-Sumu al-Malaki, Al-Amir Abdelaziz bin Turki al-Faisal, Wazir al-Riyadah. His Royal Highness, Prince Abdelaziz bin Turki al-Faisal, he's the Minister of Sports in Saudi Arabia, has graced me with his presence in my studio. Um, there's not much more else to say than to uh, welcome His Royal Highness. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, uh, Mohammed, and it's my pleasure to be with you. Uh, so, I mean, when I started this uh, podcast, it was, I said that I'm not going to take my foot off the gas pedal. I'm going to use a motorsport analogy <laughs> until I get your Royal Highness, until I get you on my show. And today, my dream uh, has been fulfilled. Uh, and I think it's a milestone not only for me, but also for the podcasting industry in the region. So I thank you for, again, I'm just going to keep thanking you throughout this episode. I thank you again for taking time out of your very busy schedule and coming on the show. Well, Even in motorsport, we lift our throttle from the gas pedal sometimes uh, in order to to overcome some obstacles and move forward. So um, there's no there's nothing wrong with with setting one step back to move two steps forward, as they say. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I've followed your your podcast with with a lot of the guests that you've um, you've had, and it's my pleasure to be with you. So thank you. Thank you so much. That means everything to me. Um, I'm going to start with a uh, a question, uh, more like a rumor that I heard. Uh, you, sir, had a uh, a gray Nissan Patrol as one of your first cars. Uh, is is that uh, accurate information? It's kind of uh, true and not true. It's not my car. It was my father's car. So yes, it was a 1990 Nissan Patrol that my father owned, and uh, we used to go to the desert and to the farm, and uh, and we used to drive, uh, or he taught me how to drive, basically a manual uh, car at the time. Uh, so yeah, so some of it is true. <laughs> Would you say that that is when your love for motorsports really, uh, you know, kicked off your love for cars, getting in that manual car? Is is that where it starts? It it, it did it. Uh, It initiated by just being, you know, as a teenager and, and a youngster, uh, loving um, adventurous actions and, and, and trips and so on. Uh, we used to go to the desert a lot. Um, we used to ride motorbikes, uh, buggies, um, uh, and we were very fortunate that my family and my parents uh, gave us that opportunity and, and encouraged us actually to, to move forward. We had some our days where we didn't do well in school, where we were banned from from using them like any other family. Uh, but um, but yeah, it started off from there, and um, the passion for cars in general came from my father. He he loves uh, cars. He he collected or still collects uh, some of the classical cars. We have a difference in taste a bit, uh, but he uh, but he um, he liked buying old cars and restoring them. Um, and we have a workshop uh, here in Jeddah, actually in the house, where we have people who are working on the car just for privately. Um, uh, and and that's where I started to uh, catch on on the uh, on the passion of cars in general, understanding the engineering, the mechanics, uh, how does it work, and so on. Um, and funny enough, that led me to something that I don't speak a lot about, and not a lot of people know. 
but I also love detailing cars. Uh, so that is something that I do in my spare time, if I have any time. Um, but yeah, so just in general, there's where the love of cars really started. Motorsport came a long way after that, and by coincidence. Um, I started in my motorsport career in, in Formula BMW in Bahrain. When the Formula One track opened in Bahrain, there was a Formula BMW school there. And um, uh, I went with a group of friends who wanted to do a three-day course on, to learn how to drive on a racetrack. Um, and at the time I was studying in, in London. So um, we were here for the Christmas break and um, uh, drove to Bahrain, uh, enjoyed the three days. And uh, there was a trainer there still in contact with him and he played a big role in igniting that uh, that passion to be honest and and leading the way uh, to 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 pave my way in, in motorsport uh, his name is Paul Spooner um, and he was managing the the school there and eventually I think a number of Saudi motorsport athletes have come through his uh, his his training and his uh, development programs that he he used to do and so on um, but uh, that ignited something because I, I attended the, the three-day course and then I went back to London. So I started to look on how can I participate in open track days, what are the programs there and so on. And I started going to racetracks around the UK to, to learn. And uh, that led me to not just learning about motorsport, but also learning about engineering. Uh, because as a good driver, you have to learn of how the car works so you can communicate with your engineer to go faster, basically. So all of these things built up. And then when I came back for my next holiday, there was a race and I attended the race and I won the first race. So there's where really it showed that, you know, you've got something there. Why don't you pursue it? Um, and that's how it started. So when you started back in the day, there was no such thing as Formula One in the region. I mean, Bahrain, if I'm not mistaken, 2004, 2005 was the first race. Today, between Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, and, and Alhamdulillah in Jeddah, we, us three cities are on the calendar. Um, was it a dream of yours back in those days to say that, you know what, it would be nice to have Formula One in, in my country one day? And, and Zumul Amir, here you are, you know, accomplished that. Well, it's, you know, you live with, with a lot of dreams and a lot of goals that you, you want to achieve. And, and when I started motorsport, I never had the intention to, to, uh, to even attend the Formula One race. Uh, but obviously, because I got into it, I started to look and started to understand and, and, uh, and see what are the best races to go to, Monaco, Le Mans, um, Indy, and, and so on, all the big races that you want to, to race in the Nürburgring. Um, so today, luckily in the region, we have four actually races. Qatar is one of them. Yes, of course. Um, and and it's it's amazing to see that, you know, when we started, when I started, we didn't have a federation. Um, so today we have a federation. We have more than 5,000 uh, athletes or, or registered uh, licensing, licensed uh, drivers, marshals by the thousands that manage these races. We host uh, Formula One, Formula E, Dakar. Um, world Championships and, and the Baja Rally Championships. Uh, and at the time, we didn't even have one race in the, in the kingdom. Yeah. So we've come a long way, uh, I would say, in motorsport. But um, really, the, the 2030 vision and the ambition of our leadership, especially the, His Royal Highness the Crown Prince, uh, drives that and, and, and led us to what do we need to do 
to be you know the best in the world and to have the best in the world and and that's the drive that and and the empowerment that we got or we have now to be able to uh, host these races and from that a lot of uh, people got passionate about motorsport a lot more people got passionate about motorsport uh, and you have a lot of followers that are that are following motorsport in general they're even more uh, passionate than I am, uh, and 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 it's nice to see. Uh, it's, it's nice to see that you know we've come a long way, and and needless to say that Saudis were very uh, uh, successful in the past, even though that we didn't have any races. So Abdullah Bakhshab, Mamdouh Khayat, Ahmed Bassaban, they've all participated in world rally in, in the rally championships in the Middle East and so on. <laughs> so all of these things. You know, our role today is to empower and to give them uh, something that they can uh, uh, basically build on uh, for the future. Inshallah. And that's exactly what what we see. We, I mean, we see you doing just that. I have to say that when you took over as Minister of Sports, uh, everything changed. We, we dreamt uh, of Formula One. I dreamt of Formula One. Dakar was something I never thought we could host. You know, we have a beautiful desert. Why, you know, why, why didn't we host it? And, and now we host it. Formula E in Riyadh is on. The tennis in Dira'iyah was fantastic. I'm a big fan of Anthony Joshua. We are seeing, you understand where I'm going, we are seeing some world-class events happening on the ground here in Saudi Arabia. How did you manage to put so many world-class events in such a short period of time? It's not me and it's not uh, what I'm doing. The, the change actually started uh, in 2015 uh, with the 2030 vision uh, and with the guidance of the of the Crown Prince. Um, he has a vision and he, he knows what he wants for the country. He knows what the country needs and he knows what the people want. Uh, and I remember in, in a lot of our meetings <clears throat> and different um, topics of, uh, of sports, uh, what are you dreaming about? Uh, let's go and do it. What are the obstacles that are out there? There was a lot of regulations that had to be changed. There was a lot of uh, infrastructure that has to be built in and, and so on. Uh, and why don't we pursue to, to get these uh, events? These events are part of the national sports strategy. Um, they're there to enhance and to encourage people to go into different sports. Um, you know, motorsport, uh, only last year we had four world champions uh, in the Baja races. Uh, and one of them uh, is a woman, Dani Aguil, who you met. So um, just to think about that two years ago or three years ago, they weren't even racing. And now they're world champions is, is, is a big milestone that they've achieved uh, and they put the hard work into it. Our role is to empower. And I think the, the Saudi is very unique. People, you know, the, the, the population, most of the population is below the age of 40. Um, they, they're very connected. Uh, in social media and and they you know they travel they see um, and they want the best uh, in the kingdom and they want to be part of the best so all of that all of those dynamics which is a, a leadership that guides you towards achieving that and empowers you a, a vision that we can all work together to achieve uh, this this vision and uh, and um, and the will from from everyone to be part of of this is is how we can or how we managed to uh, to uh, to host so many events in in the past four years or five years. So it's 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 not just the the work that we do. We do our job, but also all of these components add a lot to uh, to achieving that. 
you touched on the uh, on Vision 2030, and just you know, for my uh, listeners or viewers who need to know a little bit more about Vision 2030, uh, it's the kingdom's uh, vision that uh, uh, that covers a lot of pillars, uh, and sports is one of those pillars. And just to read off my notes, entertainment is another, health, environment, digital economy, empowerment initiatives, culture, tourism, infrastructure. As far as the Ministry of Sports is concerned. Um, how far along are you in pursuing the objectives of Vision 2030? Well, in certain, in some uh, topics or some uh, initiatives, we've achieved that. And some of them, they're going to take more time to achieve. Um, some of them were quick wins, um, basically because no one has done it. We couldn't achieve it. Now we're doing it. So we've, we, we achieved these goals. Uh, but every year we revise all of these goals and all of these KPIs that we that we need to adjust. Um, of course, the most important pillar in my view in, in the 2030 vision that we fall under is the quality of life. Um, and today is uh, sports, entertainment, culture is all about quality of life and tourism, of course. So uh, having the quality of life program uh, actually ensures that we all work together uh, because sports is culture. And sports is entertainment, uh, and sports is an industry, uh, and and you need to work with all of the different agencies, with the private sector, with the educational system, and so on, to make sure to make sure that you achieve these KPIs. If if, if it, all of these KPIs were left alone to the Ministry of Sports, we wouldn't we can't achieve it. So today, with the 2030 vision and with the with the especially with the quality of life program, um, brings us all together, and and we have to talk to each other, we have to sit together in meetings. Uh, we have a monthly meeting that we that we have to see what are the uh, uh, initiatives that we're trying to achieve. Uh, what where are the obstacles? Who do I need to talk to? And really, any it's 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 a beautiful environment because it helps you to uh, to to fulfill your goals and helps you to achieve um, uh, and and overcome a lot of the obstacles that were that were there. So in quality of life, we're we're talking about people, you know. Running out, uh, running in the streets, cycling, uh, having you know uh, spaces for 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 them to to participate in sports, um, and and to have a better you know um, uh, standard of of quality of life within the cities of the kingdom. Um, one of the main objective objectives that I had on on our ministry is uh, I want the options of as soon as you walk out the door. You, if you want to participate in any sport, you know where you, you can go and participate in that sport. And it has to be uh, delivered uh, on that. Of course, with some sports, they're much faster than others because of demand and because of the infrastructure, but we're working towards that. So today, the, the main objective that I have is, is within the quality of life uh, uh, program uh, and all the initiatives that we're doing is, or the main goal is any person living in Saudi Arabia wants to participate in any sport can walk out the door, either go running or cycling or find a tennis court next to him or a football court or, or a volleyball or basketball, whatever the sport is, that they can actually go regularly and feel free to to participate in these sports. You know, it's an interesting point because one of the things, you know, when, when we speak, when I speak to my friends uh, who've just come back from holiday, they'd say, I was in London, I was in New York, it was great, I did a lot of walking or I did a lot of cycling. Growing up in, in Jeddah, you know, leaving the house, you're in the car and then you go to another place in the car. Now, uh, I mean, I'm just looking around my neighborhood or my mother's neighborhood. There's a 
a mamsha or a walkway in, in almost every other neighborhood. A lot of people on their bicycles, a lot of people running and doing exercises. So um, I know exactly what you mean because it's something that I saw. I saw that transformation happen right before my eyes. Women in uh, in, in sports in Saudi Arabia has changed dramatically. Today, we live in a, we live in a Saudi Arabia where if a, a female wants to participate in a sport to one day represent Saudi Arabia in, she has that facility through your ministry. I believe Saudi Arabia's women's soccer team um, had their first win against Seychelles. Yes, I got two it right. Wins, actually. Two wins, yes. two wins. Yeah. So when I saw that news, Your Royal Highness, I was like, we have a, we have a female soccer team and it just, it really made me made me happy. Uh, what kind of work went into empowering women and putting them in places where they can practice their sports? Um, there's a lot of behind uh, or, or homework that went into that. Uh, first of all, you want to provide the right atmosphere um, and the right infrastructure uh, to come in. And when they've never participated, how do you start yeah. or where do you go to? Uh, luckily, we have really good facilities that we've we've used uh, and opened them uh, for female athletes. They weren't allowed to go into these uh, facilities in the past. Um, so all of these regulatory changes opened the door. We didn't do anything. We just gave empowered them. So when you talk about the women's national team, uh, football national team, we started with the league uh, in October and um, when we started with the league, we said, okay, we're going to announce about a female or a women's uh, football league. Um, and we weren't sure how many people will participate or how many clubs or teams will participate. And we were, we were overwhelmed because we, we found that there were more than 60 uh, clubs or, or, or groups that wanted to participate, oh, wow. which we had to narrow it down because of, uh, of, of, uh, of the logistics and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's that's my point about how do we achieve these things very quickly. It's they weren't they were just not allowed to. Now that you've opened the door, they're ready, and they've they've been doing it actually in either either private houses or private resorts or so on that they used to participate. So and then from there we did the scouting program uh, for the national team. Uh, of course, there are some technical issues that we need to deal with in terms of the competitions and so on, which we're working on. We can't. You know, dump everything on 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 day one and expect them to to achieve uh, the best on that. Um, so first of all, recognizing that we have a a women's national team, um, and then providing them with the support that they need, uh, and they did the rest. Uh, they they started playing against each other. They we had our league that that uh, that finished, uh, uh, I think, two months ago, and now they're starting with the indoors uh, football league. Um, <clears throat> so it's all, you know, a step-by-step -step process. And I don't look at it as men and women. I look at it in, in general, even, you know, with, you know, just giving you an example with motorsport, we didn't have a federation. So we didn't have anything that represented us. Um, but that did not stop us from, uh, moving forward and trying to, uh, to, to participate and trying to, um, achieve what we want to achieve. Um, and I think it's the same with women, uh, with, with different sports. Uh, today we find a lot of uh, participation in, in, in a lot of sports and, uh, and it's, it's exciting. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's something nice to see and, and, and it's a necessity. You know, they represent half of the population. They are mothers for future uh, athletes. So they need to understand what sports is as well. Um, so all of these 
components are necessary that we take that step and move forward. Um, I saw pictures of you in Tokyo (laughs) and um, I spoke to Hassan a lot about this. And I was was so proud of, of course, you and, and the whole delegation. And I... I meant what I said. It looked like you were in 10 places at once. <laughs> How did you feel when you saw um, Team Saudi Arabia come out? It was, the, it was the biggest number of participants. All that work that led up to it. How did you feel? That was my first Olympics. Um, and uh, I felt very proud because we had a challenge. And the challenge is, um, I'll just step one, one step backwards just to understand where we're coming from. When we went to the Asian Games in 2018, um, we asked the federations to um, nominate athletes to come into the uh, into the team. And with the Asian Games, there's no qualifying process. So you can choose whoever you want. Um, and we had a big number, I think around 400 uh, athletes. So within the Olympic Committee, we did a process. We said, okay, we're going to check each athlete on their performance. So we won't take an athlete that's not going to perform. Uh, there's no point uh, of going there. It's not an open competition. This is a competition for the athletes who are going to go and perform and achieve um, results. So when we did that process, that number went down from 400 to 170. Um, So it gave me an indication that we didn't have a process for the athletes within the federations. Um, And a lot of federations complained uh, about this process. And, uh, and we stuck to, to what we were doing. Um, we went with 170 athletes. We achieved, I think it was six or seven medals, which I think was the lowest that we've, that we've done in, in our history. Um, so that also gave me an indication that even the 170 that went are not as ready as the other athletes that are going to this competition. So what do we do from there? We need to put a process that we enforce on the federations uh, to make sure that we have the best athletes coming uh, and participating in international uh, competitions. Because first of all, it's fair that we give the best. Second of all, we're going to spend a lot of money on them. We need to understand what their needs are and what their training is. And we need to have an, a, a data of what are they doing? When are they doing it? What are the numbers they're achieving or in competitions? What are the results and so on? And what are the issues that they're facing? Whether it was family issues, uh, job related, whatever it is. Um, to make sure that when they go to these competitions, they actually perform at the highest uh, level. Uh, So since then, since 2018, we put this criteria and we started working with the athletes. That resulted automatically in having the highest number of qualified athletes qualify for the Olympics in our history. Um, A lot of people don't understand how important is it just to qualify to the Olympics. Um, And they think that, you know, anyone can qualify to the Olympics. Uh, it's a very difficult process and it's a very, um, uh, the competition is very high. So, and all the countries are doing it and all the countries are competing and, and you know, you try to catch up and they keep evolving even further. So when we did that process, it showed us that there is potential and there is potential to go with a big number that actually can perform. Uh, we don't want just to go just for the sake of going to the Olympics. So just by qualifying, uh, to the Olympics, that's a big milestone and a big goal that we that we had to achieve. Um, and then we we uh, we looked at that process and tried to implement it even further. So we went to even a lower tier. 
by saying that we need to um, uh, check what are the programs that the federations are doing for these athletes? How are they taking taking care of these? Because it's the responsibility of the of the federations. And then, as Olympic Committee, we gather them up and we do a process to choose these athletes to go and compete in in, uh, in Olympic Games, uh, whether it was Asian or 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 uh, international. So. I felt very proud that we have the biggest number of qualified players. That means that they're actually competing. They're, they know the process, they understand it, uh, and they're dedicating their time to uh, to do so. Um, and then we look at their performance in the Olympics. So why did you achieve this number? Why couldn't you achieve a higher number? Or why did you achieve this level? And why, why didn't you go to a higher level? And it gives us a pure assessment of the level of our athletes. Um, there's nothing that can give you that assessment but competition. Um, so that's how it came out, or it came about that we, 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 we achieved that number. And it's not rocket science, just putting a criteria and putting a process to choose the best athletes to come on. Uh, and I'm sure there are a lot of good athletes that we still haven't uh, looked at or haven't seen because it's it's a huge uh, scale of, of athletes that, that are there, but we have now and we've announced this around, I think, five or four months ago with the Federation's program and what they need to do and, and the support that they're going to get and, and the criteria that they need to put in and what competitions they need to compete in. Um, we found that a lot of the interna- uh, a lot of our federations used to go and compete in competitions that are not recognized mm-hmm. and they achieve medals. So we get the feedback that they're stars and they, you know, they achieve, but we find out that uh, the athletes that competed in these uh, competitions are not up to the level. So that's why we could win. And then when we go to the real thing, we're nowhere. Um, so that's the, the criteria that we put in. Of course, seeing the biggest delegation com- uh, you know, qualify, our football national team, which supposedly is a full concert, concentrated on it and, and so on, and everyone's following football in Saudi and 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 so on and and the majority of the budget goes to to the football uh, federation that was you know the last time they qualified was in 96 so it shows you that there's even within that's why i came back to the point that even within men's sports that there should be a criteria and there should be a way to choose these athletes and to to put a program uh, to fix these these issues that they face and to be able to to come back to where we were in the past and try to compete in the in the future if you um, the results are going to come. We need to put the hard work in, and then the results are going to come. And we have to be realistic. Um, so the first program or the first initiative that we we started with this criteria, the results were that we have the biggest number of athletes uh, qualify. So what's the next step? Uh, and then in the Tokyo Olympics, Alhamdulillah, Tariq Hamdi got a silver medal, yeah. which was equivalent to our best performance uh, in 2000 uh, in 2000 in, in Sydney. So that shows you that just putting the right work in in advance uh, will eventually lead up to uh, having these athletes in the future. So um, many of the famous podcasters in the world uh, were talking about that specific silver medal as a controversial topic. Uh, we will uh, we'll move on from this point. Yes. <laughs> Should have gotten gold. I'm going to say it. <laughs> well, in my eyes, he got gold. So <laughs> thank uh, you, thank and, you. And I think he's he's um, you know I spoke a lot with Tarek and, and uh, at the time we wanted it. Of course, we wanted to win gold and, and so on. But it is what it is. Yeah. And we have to deal with it, and it shouldn't put him down. 
should actually no, encourage him to to move forward hopefully and and achieve more yeah we have a, a federation in almost every sport <clears throat> it was recently brought to my attention by a cousin of mine that we have a cricket federation <laughs> yes um, was that the plan, uh, you know, to have a federation to the best of our abilities in every sport out there? It's, uh, of course it is, but we have to understand why do we have federations? Um, usually federations form or they, 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 they become a federation from a group of clubs. So usually I have a club, you have a club, X has a club, and then we decide to have a competition between us. Who regulates that as a federation? And we are members of that federation. And then we nominate a president for that federation that actually manages our competition. Um, so that's the, 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 the ladder of how a, a, a federation gets formed, basically. We looked at it from both ways. So one is we need to have a lot of clubs that actually participate in a lot of sports in order to have these federations. Because if you have the federations without clubs, who are going to compete in these, in these competitions? Um, but we also looked at it from the other side. We said, okay, if the role of the, uh, that's not just the role of the federation, the role of the federation is also to promote the sport um, and to have a governing body that actually represents uh, a sport. Um, so we, uh, you know, even this was a number that, that His Royal Highness actually mentioned and said, I want a hundred federations in Saudi Arabia. So go and go and and see what you can do. And luckily now we're around ninety three oh, uh, federations within the past, you know, three uh, three to four years that we that we've worked on. But he had a a vision also on that, um, meaning that if I have a federation, we can support that federation to promote these sports, and people will eventually come and participate in in this way. So let's not wait for people to create clubs and so on. We, why don't we bring it a top down uh, approach? Yeah which we saw with the Winter Sports uh, Federation. We had no clue that anyone was participating in winter sports or that we have actually athletes Excuse, in winter sports. Yeah. But when, we, when, we, when the uh, uh, Winter Sports Federation was established, the, uh, the interest is there. Uh, we found the skiers that are actually uh, participating. And we had three actually skiers that qualified to the Winter Olympics, but we had only one seat uh, for them to go. And we also put a criteria to choose who, who goes and we had our first ever um, participation in the Winter Olympics uh, in Beijing uh, about two months or three months ago. So um, this is the idea of having these federations is today we have a governing body that, that actually can represent the sport. So even when you talk about cricket, a lot of people don't you know, think that there, there, there's no cricket in Saudi where we have actually more than uh, 35,000 uh, people that play cricket majority are non-Saudi, but they live in Saudi. And I come back with this to the quality of life, of life, of life uh, program, where you need to have a quality of life for everyone who's living in, in, in Saudi. And that's why we, we initiated that, uh, that, that process with that uh, federation. Hassan told me, uh, Hassan Alidal told me that you were very excited when you found out that we <coughs> have a rower. <laughs> and uh, he was like, you know, His Royal Highness was was so happy that, you know, we have someone that could potentially uh, represent us in rowing. And then I spoke to Hassan on the episode. I'm like, what's next for you? Tell me you're going to compete for the next Olympics. He's like, mm. I'm like, Hassan, give me an answer. He's like, <laughs> yes, inshallah, I am. But what's more important is that I want to build a sport in Saudi. And now we have a couple dozen rowers in Saudi who any of them, 
you know, with a bit of uh, concentration can maybe reach the point of representation in Saudi Arabia. When you look at that, that, you know, a couple of years ago, we were, we didn't have any rowers in Saudi, and now you have 20 or 30 potential candidates for representation in rowing. It's empowering. Uh, give them the playing field, give them the ability, give them the, 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 the empowerment that they need, and they will shine. Um, that's how I look at it. Um, I don't understand a lot about rowing, I'll be honest. <laughs> Neither do I. Uh, so, but yeah, I was excited because, you know, potentially we have an athlete and Hussein was the first that I meet and, um, and he looked very dedicated. He looked very, uh, passionate about it. So it gave me the excitement that finally we have someone in a sport that actually is passionate about that sport and actually wants to do good about that sport. Um, and that's what I felt from the first meeting that we had uh, with Hussein and his and his coach. Um, and I remember that we you know we discussed what do we need to do to uh, build the sport within the kingdom. And you know it's our role to um, to open these ventures for the next generation to come on yeah. and to have a you know to have a a, a way actually to to reach to these goals. So, um, rowing is one of them. A lot of other sports are are part of that, uh, and and we're very excited of how the future will look. Inshallah. Inshallah. There are numerous mega projects across Saudi Arabia. Um, Neom, uh, Soda project down in Abha, Al Gidia Red Sea project. I can go on. Um, Gidia is something that attracts my attention because I love sports. Mm -hmm. And when someone said it's the size of a couple Disney worlds, I'm even more excited now. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about what we can expect in uh, Al Gidia? I'll tell you what, because I'm on the, I'm on the board of, of Al Gidia and, and His Royal Highness, uh, uh, the Crown Prince chairs the, the um, uh, Gidia project. And I'll tell you what he told us. He told us, whatever dreams you have about sports, build it in a Gidea, in terms of facilities, in terms of um, uh, things that you need to excel. So whether they were training centers that we lack, uh, competition centers that we lack, and so on. Um, as you know, and, and this is something that I'm happy about, but it's an issue that we have. Um, we lack facilities, um, and we lack facilities for different reasons. Um, today, the demand is so big. Uh, because we've opened all of these um, uh, ventures in, in sports and the federations and so on. But also in the past, uh, the private sector was, was not welcome to come into the, uh, or the rules and regulations were very complicated to do so. So we fixed all of that. Today, you know, just, just by example, we have 170 clubs, uh, official clubs that are recognized by the ministry uh, in the kingdom. <clears throat> and these are the clubs Al-Tihad, Al-Hilal, Al-Nasr, Damak, all of them. Um, and they get support from the government, um, but also they are under the supervision of the ministry. Um, what triggered the potential of growth that we have in, in the sports sector is when I was with the, with the national team in Portugal preparing for the World Cup 2018, uh, I met with the... Um, uh, uh, Portuguese uh, Football Federation. And the president there, I asked him, how many clubs do you have under the federation? Football clubs now we're talking. Um, and since football is the number one sport in the kingdom, how many clubs participate in football in the kingdom? 170. But how many clubs do participate in Portugal? You're talking about a population of 10 million, roughly. Half of us. Yes. And they are 
very um, advanced in football. Um, they're ranked, I think, number three or number four, uh, or maybe the top five. They, you know, they have the best coaches. You find them all over the world. They have the best players. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is one of them. Um, so, how did they reach to this excellent in, in a small country? Um, and and uh, so, I, I straight away, I asked him, "How many clubs do you have?" And he said, "850 clubs." My goodness. So you have 850 clubs that are under the supervision of the federation. And we have 170. With double the population. With double the population. Yeah. So minimum, the city of Riyadh should have at least 800 clubs. That part, and I'm not talking about the top level uh, football, but I'm talking about all the tiers yeah. from, from you know, the first division to the, to the lowest division and the academies and the programs and so on. I asked him another question. How many national teams do you have? We have five. How many, or we had five at the time. How many do you think they have? 40? No, 25. 25. Yes. Okay. So if they have 25 and we have five national teams, yeah. so that shows you the gap yeah. that is there today, whether it was in economics uh, as a business, as an ecosystem, or whether as potential mm -hmm. of growth within the sector. The number one uh, obstacle that is stopping that is we weren't issuing licenses. So that was a regulatory issue that we have. Something that simple. That simple. And that decision was with the ministry. So we created a, a licensing program, uh, which we worked around two years for it. And we launched it last July. Um, and today we have 100 applications. So within six months or eight months, we have 100 applications. And we have approved around 15 academies and around 10 clubs, 10 new clubs. The issue that we face now is all of these applications and all of these, and this is coming from the private sector, so it has nothing to do with, with funding from the government or anything like that. The issue that we have now is where do they play and where do they find centers to uh, participate? It comes back to the facilities. Exactly. Issue. So this comes back to our issue with uh, the infrastructure that we have. And now we have a full program of how do we build our new clubs? Before it was, you know, the model that we had within the ministry is to build a club like what was built 30 years ago. That has to change. Um, uh, the demands has changed. Uh, the, the, the way that these clubs are designed have changed. So we came up with a concept there where, and we're working with the municipalities of each uh, city that we, we either offer the land for the private sector to invest in. They can take a long-term uh, lease or, or so on. Or we, we invest into that uh, facility and we create a facility that the private sector can come and, and rent from us to operate their, their sporting needs and, and, their, and their duties. Coming back to all of this, this will lead us to an infrastructure that is being built and, and a process that is being built for the future and the demand that, that we have within the, uh, within the sector that should be filled within the next five years. And then from then on, you'll see the outcome of all of these uh, uh, initiatives uh, in reality, uh, in terms of grassroots, in terms of uh, people participating and so on. But we need to give it that time uh, to achieve. So, so really that is, I mean, that is <coughs> you know, one of the reasons why Portugal has climbed through the rankings is because they invested in infrastructure at the grassroots level. And, and we see Cristiano Ronaldo 
But, you know, there's a saying, the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. Mm -hmm. And Cristiano Ronaldo is the fruit of the labor that was planted many, many years ago. 100%. But he had a program that could actually host him and build on that. Okay. Yeah. So it works both hands. It's not just infrastructure that you need to build, Mm -hmm. but it's also programs, qualified people that actually... Uh, uh, operate all of these uh, these infrastructure for us to have a a, a generation that's strong into sports. Um, yesterday we had uh, the final of the handball uh, between uh, two clubs in the in the eastern province, and the stadium was full. Wow. And if you see the uh, and you know for us handball, uh, you know who talks about it yeah. and, and who 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 follows it. Most of what you see in the media is about football, um, but. It showed us that there's a demand in the eastern province for handball, and actually they had to stop a lot of the fans from coming in because it was full capacity. Oh wow! So it shows you how how much interest uh, is there in in, in other sports. Uh, some of the other sports that we had during this month, uh, volleyball and, and and basketball, we had a full uh, capacity in our in our stadiums. And our stadiums, you know, take five thousand uh, spectators, which yeah. is not a big number. But we were worried in the past <clears throat> that five thousand is a lot. Uh, now it gives us an indication that no, we need actually bigger facilities to uh, to look at that. Um, so, uh, really, I think um, sports in general within the twenty thirty vision and the, within the plans that are there and the vision of the leadership in in, in achieving these goals uh, is is very bright for the future. Inshallah. Um, when we saw tennis uh, feature in Dirayya, uh, it was great to see a you know a professional tennis tournament in Saudi Arabia. And um, when I was in Al-Ula a couple of months ago, I was like, you know, the color of the rock formation at Al-Ula is very similar to the clay court that we see in, in, in Paris and Roland Garros. You know where I'm going with this. I mean, would it ever cross your mind to look into perhaps getting a clay court in Al-Ula with that backdrop of scenery? Al-Ula is magical. It is. Uh, and I think anything that you would put there would, would have a beautiful scenery. Uh, we had Extreme E, we had Dakar pass by there. <clears throat> and um, a couple of months ago, we had the cycling tour, the Saudi tour that was there. And the feedback that we got from the um, athletes, and these are top international athletes that participated, is they wanted always to be in Al-Ula uh, because of the beauty in the roads and, 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 the, and the environment over there. So um, we work closely with all the agencies that are in charge of uh, these uh, sites and these locations. And if there is a possibility, why not? It's a good idea. And I think it, it, it gives a good uh, indication also for the future. Yeah. I saw a polo match. I don't think I've yes, ever been to a yes. polo match. And I saw that there and I was like, wow, we have polo now in Saudi Arabia. And it's, it's not grass, it's actually sand. It's sand, yeah. Yes. yeah. That's yeah. when the idea of the tennis yes. came to me. Um, <laughs> A bit of a personal question here, um, but uh, I am going to feel comfortable enough to ask it. Uh, through everything that you have done throughout your career, or or even like you know before you started as, as minister of sports, what, what's been your biggest challenge? Would you say something that you feel that really tested you as a person? Time. <laughs> um, deep answer. <laughs> How so? There's a lot, you know, in, in motorsport we fight against time. Um, and that is something that I uh, learned very late in motorsport. And if you can win a second or a tenth of a second uh, somewhere, then that's the effort of uh, years 
of preparation and, and leading you up to that uh, position. Um, with with so much that we have today and with the opportunities that we have today and with the world that we live in today, um, it's very difficult to to uh, to fulfill everything that you want. So you have to prioritize. Um, uh, and and I think time is 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 a challenge that you know we have so much that we want to achieve, but uh, so little time to try and achieve it um, during a day and 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 try to optimize uh, our performance in, in in every way to to make sure that we deliver the right things. Um, and then if you do something wrong or you have a mistake or something, it sets you back uh, to sometimes starting point. So and then you can't repay that uh, that time back. So, but it teaches you. Uh, it teaches you to learn a lot, and and it teaches you from your mistakes, of course. Um, so I think um, the biggest obstacle today is 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 time in a way that there's so much that we want to achieve, but we can't really do it today. I can only imagine how busy your schedule looks and how every minute is uh, is scheduled w within within your plans. Is it something that you learned from your days of motor? You, I mean, you touched on that. I, I know you were in Le Mans, you were in Nürburgring 24. Is there anything that you carry from those days into your role today as Minister of Sports? Everything that I learned. Um, you have to be patient uh, for results. You have to put the, t the effort and the time and the um, uh, work uh, months in advance. You can't show up to a race uh, not putting any effort in it and, and expect to achieve um, because there's someone else who's working much harder than you who's fighting that or, or, or who's challenging you towards that and they'll be they'll be there and much well prepared. So today as a role of what we're working in, um, we always have to be prepared and we always have to put the right preparation in uh, before we meet or before we come into a a, a um, an event or anything that we're doing or a program that we want to in it or we want to put in um that's the same with with meeting with his royal highness uh, you know i have to come well prepared expecting any question that could pop up and and um, and sometimes i get asked qu questions that i have no answers to um and i ask to give me time and come back to him with 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 the with the answers for the for for these questions um but uh, yeah, it's it's preparation. Uh, I think uh, no matter what you do, you have to be always well prepared. And 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 as much as you think that you are prepared, you're never really well prepared. There's always issues that happen, and you have to be you know you have to act or react uh, um, very fast and 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 be cautious with that because that could affect your outcome and and so on and and with your decisions. Um, um, observing everything, um, getting as much information as you can. Um, the more information you have, the better position you're in. Um, and 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 don't leave anything unturned. Uh, look for everything. Look for everything that will achieve you to that goal. Uh, don't expect that, no, this is going to reach there by, by coincidence. Uh, don't leave it to that. If coincidence does happen, it happens maybe once in a lifetime or twice in a certain situation. Luck. Yeah, uh, or luck, um, but you have to always come well prepared to for, to perform, um, and I think that's these are the habits that I have today with me. Is is I have to always wake up uh, and and start my day by what are the necessary necessary steps that I have to put in, um, even if I don't like them. Uh, they're sometimes boring or 
or take a lot of your time or or not interesting uh, so on but you have to listen to it you have to listen to it you have to observe it you have to understand it and and it, because it puts you in a better position in the future one very also very important thing is trust the system okay. that you put uh, sometimes you feel like you're going or deviating from achieving the goal um, and then you react um, not waiting for the process to finish uh, and that could set you back so if you put a system in and you work with with, with the right people um, and you trust the people that you work with and, and qualified people then you have to trust the outcome of what's going to show up it doesn't sometimes you don't see it uh, but putting the time in and putting the well preparation in and so on and trusting the system that you have you eventually reach to these goals without knowing uh, this time last year, uh, His Royal Highness Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman uh, highlighted you in his speech uh, when referring to um, you know passion and, and and what you can accomplish with with that. Uh, hearing uh, him single you out, um, how did you how did you interpret that and how did it make you feel? Uh, it was uh, a shock, <laughs> to be honest, but. Uh... He's a very uh, honest and straightforward man, and he 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 means what he says. Um, I was very, you know, uh, uh, of course, it's an it's an honor, um, and that was like um, the most recognition that I would achieve in my lifetime. Um, there's no better recognition than having recognition from, uh, first of all, uh, the crown prince and. He's your boss, so you need you know you, you it shows that he sees the the work that you put in and and he recognizes it and it's uh, it's very generous of him also to mention me <laughs> and single me out. I'm sure there are a lot uh, that are much capable than I am and much qualified than I am um, that are working within his uh, domain. Uh, but really, uh, yeah, it was it was a. Uh, um, it is the highlight of my life, I think. If you um, have a message to to send to future athletes in Saudi, I know your dream is to you know to grow sports and federations across Saudi. What would your message be to these up and coming athletes? We all face obstacles. Uh, we all face issues. Um, uh, never stop. Uh, if you really believe in what you're doing and you really believe in, in that is the career that you want to come into or or that is the goal that you want to achieve, there's nothing uh, impossible, uh, honestly. Um, there's nothing uh, different from an athlete to an athlete, uh, except the hard work and the preparation that they put in. Uh, at the end of the day, we're all humans and we have, <clears throat> each one has our, our own capabilities and so on, but you need to find what your um, capabilities are and where your strengths are and try to nourish them and where your weaknesses are and try to overcome them um, and if you're passionate about something just keep going um, um, a lot of the things I never dreamt about racing in Le Mans I never uh, dreamt about racing in in, uh, in Monaco I never dreamt that I'll be a, a or had a goal that I'll be you know a a, a competitive athlete in motorsport uh, that wins championships and 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 today I lead the sector um, but it's all the hard work that I put in that led me to where I am, um, and 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 choosing the right uh, process to 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 achieve that. That's difficult because you will fail, um, and and you will face a lot of people that 
will ask you to stop uh, because of failing once and twice and, th and, and three times and so on. I was asked a lot of times to stop racing. Um, and why are you doing this? It's a waste of time. Nobody understood uh, my passion towards it. And I never really cared about what they were saying because I knew what I wanted and it's not what they wanted. Um, so it's, it's finding, uh, I think the difficult thing is finding something that you really love um, and pursue it. But once you pursue it, decide to go all the way. Don't, there's no shortcuts. Uh, and there's no, um, uh, uh, there's no single way of doing it. Uh, each one has their own way of, it, of reaching to these goals and trying to achieve it. Um, so just keep going and, and keep learning every day. Even if you reach to your goal, just keep pursuing, okay, what's next? How do I develop myself? Because there's always someone who's going to come in competition that's going to knock you out. Uh, um, are you prepared for that? Um, how do you accept it? Uh, accepting defeat um, and, and, and dealing with it. A lot of people from what I've seen in my career, they're very talented, but um, first of all, they give up because they need to work hard. Uh, they don't have, you know, they don't want to put so much time into it. Um, and second of all, once they have one defeat or two defeats, they, they pull out um, and they can't overcome that. So um, learn from these defeats and actually make it something that actually pushes you even further. And you will come back. Uh, I promise you, you will uh, come back even stronger and, and you, you, will, you will be more mature about it. Um, this is the general message that I would have for anyone, not just in sports. Yeah. Great, great message. Was it a dream of yours to one day want to head the sport entity of Saudi Arabia? It was a dream of mine to do something positive in sports in the kingdom. Okay. Uh, so I always had uh, that goal of whether I worked for the government or not, um, whether I would be enrolled in, in, you know, in a process of, of working in a federation or a team or whatever. But I always knew that I had an obligation towards my country by doing the right thing and paving the way for someone comes behind me or after us of how do they uh, achieve their, their goals through the process that we've, that, that I've put in. Um, so it wasn't, I didn't look at it as a position. I looked at it as an, as an obligation that I need to give something back. Um, and if we have issues, what are the issues? How do we deal with them? How do we move forward? Um, and I think everyone can play that role. You don't need to be in an organization to play a positive role in fixing something uh, in your country. Um, and, and, uh, and everyone has an obligation towards, towards that. Uh, it, it's just how much would you be willing to, to, to get into? I'm very lucky um, to be fortunate enough to be in this position uh, and to have the support. Um, and the, the, it's not just the financial support that we have, but also the, the, uh, the trust, uh, that is there and, uh, from, uh, the crown prince and the leadership. Um, um, but also that they, they trust the programs that we put in a lot of things that I've learned from the crown prince about sports. Um, and I realize, you know, after we decide we, 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 you know, we, we discuss a lot of issues and a lot of things. And, and sometimes he tells me, no, we do it this way. And I realized later that he's right. Uh, and, and it, it, you know, it, it, it blows me away because how does he know? Uh, that, <laughs> but it shows you how a leadership is and, and, and how a vision at a, with, a, with a leadership is. Um, and I try to do the same with, with the employees in the, in the ministry. Sometimes, you know, I, I could be wrong and they could be right. And we have to listen to them and we have to 
understand. And sometimes I come back and say, listen, you're right. I think we should do it that way. Um, so today, I think it, we, we all have a role to play uh, if we want to achieve um, a better future for the kingdom as, as citizens. And, and, uh, and we have the, you know, I think we live in a golden age today in the kingdom that we have the opportunity to do so. Absolutely. Um, and, and to achieve that. So don't waste that opportunity. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for, um, for what you do for us, for the country, uh, where you have taken the sports world. I want to thank you for recognizing the show. I want to thank you for coming to my house. Uh, it's a day I'll never forget, honestly. And, um, and you know, we, uh, we can learn so much from you, Your Royal Highness. Um, this, is a, this is an episode where, uh, you know, not just about sports, but it can also be interpreted as self-development with everything you've shared. So I thank you for not sparing any details. No, thank you very much. And, um, you know, again, uh, it's my duty and my obligation to serve and to do the best for uh, the kingdom in general, whether it was in the sports sector or other. And um, um, a pleasure to be on your show and good luck. And hopefully we meet again soon. Inshallah, it'll be my pleasure always. Thanks so much. And thank you for inviting us to your house. Always. I mean, it's (laughs) one of the best days of my life, honestly. Thank you. Thank you so much.